Hey, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of Finding Peaks. Yours truly, President and Founder Chris Burns, AKA Recovery Cheerleader, Hopeful Recovering Member. Let's go. I was going to tap my chest, but it normally does the mic thing. Yeah, they hate that. They do. They <laughs> it's really, yeah, they're like, stop tapping. <laughs> um, but anyway, we have my uh, co host, who I love and cherish as a friend, professional, and colleague, Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer, as well as Licensed Professional Counselor. Um, and then we have Rachel Tapp back on the show. So grateful to have her back, one of our longest standing employees and our director of outpatient services, both Colorado Springs and Denver. So there's probably nobody who directs with that type of yeah. space. The geography. Yeah. 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 That's a lot of direction yeah. and she yeah. does it quite well. So really grateful to have you on. And you know what I do here. I bring on great professionals, but even better humans. And that's what we're about to get into. So. Um, what is top of mind today and what I want to start talking about on this episode as well as uh, uh, the following episodes leading up is like, how can we begin to focus more wholeheartedly on mental health and not so much on this addiction piece? And there was a book that just came out and um, it was a follow-up to a trauma documentary that Dr. Gabor Mate did in 2020, which was called The Wisdom of Trauma. And he did this deep dive um, in that documentary, which really caught my eye, and then he followed it up with this book um, called the, um, I was escaping me right now, um, The Myth of Normal. Yeah. The Myth of Normal, which is really, really great, and he really goes on to debunk a lot of, not necessarily debunk, but really um, get a bit more sophisticated around conversations in and around mental health and what actually informs addiction. And so I'm really excited because it's, it's just a breath of fresh air for this field, um, and for myself as a professional and somebody in long-term recovery. And um, so I just want to open up today's show um, checking in with Jason because Jason, did you actually get to see Gabor Monte? Yeah. Okay, so you were there. You were at the conference too, but you I didn't know. go in, man. <laughs> right, right. I was, I was part of the myth of the normal at the time. Yeah. You um, but you got to myth. see Gabor Monte yeah. five years ago. Yeah, it was five years ago. Yeah, we had a booth Okay. Uh, right next to where he's presenting and... Um, Actually, I took a ton of notes, like they're in my phone still, um, because he, he, you know, I think he's refining his message, but like he was saying pretty innovative things, but even back then, and I think it's informed kind of what we're doing at Peaks and, and how we're beginning to conceptualize um, treating mental health and substance use as not very different things, mm -hmm. uh, because there's way more in common, there is uh, separate from all that. So. Uh, yeah, I've been familiar with Gabor Mate for quite a while. Actually, Dr. Justin Lincoln also gave me a book of his probably 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It, I love, do you have any experience with Gabor Mate? Hmm. I, when you Not hear yet. something like that, because I hear that and now it's time and place. Yeah. Even six, five, six years ago, time and place, if you would have walked out of there and been like, hey, there's this guy, Gabor Mate, I'd have been like, what 12-step meeting did he come from? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you would have been like, oh, okay. How do you get information like that and hold it so close without going, hey, I think I found something over here. <laughs> like not, and not become like an evangelist of it? Yeah. I, I think um, that's a good, I had to go through my own skepticism about it, right. truthfully. And like, um, we also kind of live in this really, in the real world of yeah. like, how do we practically implement something? And, and I think um, we're reaching a point, certainly at peaks and, and hopefully culturally where it's like, we have to really refine what we're doing. And 35% outcomes uh, is not great. Mm -hmm. And something is broken. And I think it seems wise to go all the way to how we define the problem seems to be what may be broken. Yeah. 
it's hard to build a good recovery program uh, if your foundation has some flaws. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. And <laughs> and sometimes it's not safe to share that information. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure you were in a listening mode back. No. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And that's what I was telling Jay before the show. He could have told me Gabor Monte was there, and I'd have been like, man, I'm I'm going over here hanging out smoking cigars. Yeah. But I've really learned the value and the benefit of that information and how it doesn't decrease, but nearly dismisses shame if we have this really functional, intentional process. And Peaks, I think, is really cutting edge and innovative in its approach. In its curriculum, um, the, the titles of each week, not one of them is alcoholism or addiction or relapse prevention. Mm -hmm. For good reason. And so I believe we are on the cutting edge. And since we're on the cutting edge, we're going to continue to be on the forefront and talk about this. But I want to turn it over to Rachel because Rachel started out as obviously a client care aide and then a residential director, which when she started with us was really 12-step driven, conducted by yours truly, right? <laughs> and so there was a lot of things we believed to be true about 12-step, the behaviors, the association, the connectedness, the meeting place. Um, and I still find some of those things to be true, but just not so intensely. Um, how has the transition been for you, and what have you seen as a benefit for getting out of the cultural norm, which is something that was built in 1935, and every aftercare plan goes in that direction? So I think um, for me, it, it's been it's been a really cool experience. Um, it has been challenging. I think that, like what we were talking about before the show, like this is the hard way. Mm -hmm. This is not the um, okay, well, like, just, you know, like, learn, you have to accept it. Or, you know, like, we used to have clients write down the doctor's opinion as, like, mm -hmm. a consequence. Yeah. Like, that <laughs> is crazy. Yeah. You know, but, like, in, instead of, like, sitting down and actually, like, talking to a client about, like, okay, so, like, what's actually coming up for you with this? You know, um, and, I mean, I've even implemented this more in with, like, my staff, too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but, yeah, it has been... Um, a really eye-opening experience mm -hmm. because it's, I'm actually finding that, um, I mean, from what I've seen, it's actually not helpful. Mm -hmm. Like the 12 steps, it's helpful for some. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like what we talked about, like finding that community. Mm -hmm. um, but Jason and I have had a conversation about like the shame mm -hmm. that, you know, like the 12 steps and AA actually brings to people. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had that experience. and. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it to put our clients through more shame and ourselves through more shame mm -hmm. than we've already been through. I love what you said. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. The easy button is to do this, right? Mm -hmm. I find my 14-year chip around here somewhere, yeah. and I grab it, and I hold it up, and I say, let's go. If you want what I have, you're willing to do what I do. That is so easy. Yep. It is. And then I can take you through 12 things that show you the way. But unfortunately, not everybody's built like Chris Burns. Not everybody comes in without family support. Not everybody comes in um, disenfranchised. Not everybody is experiencing uh, extreme dislocation in their family of origin. Um, for those people, it tends to set up really well because it speaks to a couple things, connection with community and connection with family in the absence of family of origin. And so I think for some people, it can be beneficial to start and kind of build that communal foundation. Mm -hmm. But I think with time, we're really called to do the hard thing, which is engage in our mental health. Yep. Um, and I understand the rub because the rub was for me. <laughs> it was for me wholeheartedly really until about 2016 or 2017. 
But in 2016, I was talking to them before the show, and this is the myth of the normal, and this is what Dr. Gabor Mate addresses so well, is that in 2016, I am sitting in a position as the president and founder of Peaks Recovery. I am being praised by our team, the community, um, judges, lawyers, nurses, community, you name it. The only people that weren't singing my praises were my family of origin, mm. right? And that's the myth that I think we get behind and that Dr. Gabor Mate covers so well in his book is he says, I was on the front page of the Vancouver <clears throat> newspaper and my life was burning down in the background. And here I am championing change for lots of vulnerable people's plans and purposes and I can't even get behind my own mental health. So I love that you said that because it is a rub and it is a call to action. Um, what are some of the things, Jason, um, that you think that we have gotten into as a field, um, and maybe even at peaks, mm -hmm. that we can grow in and out of that have constructively kind of been the norm? Like, is, like new things that we're making the norm mm -hmm. or previous things? Previous things that might have been like the, the, the norm in our field that we've grown up and out of, okay. and then maybe some things we're, we're advancing from there. I mean, certainly, like doing addiction treatment, mm -hmm. uh, it was very normal for clinicians to work on powerlessness and unmanageability, mm -hmm. to work on uh, like bring your fourth step to your next mm -hmm. session and we're gonna kinda go over it. Almost uh, taking over in a sponsor lane mm -hmm. and um, it actually created a ton of tension I think between the, the community-based oh, programs yeah. and treatment and, um, and really um, I think that creates uh, lazy, it's lazy clinical work, sure. if you ask me, because mm -hmm. it, it, it isn't using any theory of counseling. Mm -hmm. All it is is taking what was written by lay people back in the 1930s and then applying it to current day uh, treatment. Mm -hmm. And so uh, moving away from that and using actual clinical skills to include cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, mm -hmm. uh, ACT, all the, all the therapies that we provide at PEAKS, like, um, it puts kind of AA or even other community-based programs in the in the correct lane, which is community-based support systems, mm -hmm. and it it allows clinical work to to focus on issues like trauma mm -hmm. um, and other uh, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. That's huge. You're actually bringing up a point in the book where Dr. Gabor Mate says in regards to parents and treatment programs, the more stressed out the parent, studies short show the more punitive. Hmm. The more stressed out the company. Studies show more punitive, Interesting. right? And so what we have in our world is we got, I don't know, 14,000 addiction treatment providers under-resourced, undervalued, not focused in on mental health, stressed out and very punitive. Yeah. 12 step at times can feel very punitive in its approach. And so I, I kind of want to throw back to you, Rachel, is talk about how we can be a little bit more intelligent and sophisticated on that side to meet our clients where they're at. Um, well, okay, so I, I do want, I want to go back quickly mm, because go. I think um, when you were talking about like, okay, Chris Burns in mm. 2016, like mm -hmm. the AA and the 12 steps, like that was coming from you. Um, I, I want to give you a little bit of credit because it was actually coming from, I mean, the entire industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, um, so one thing that I really appreciate about Peaks as a whole is like like when we know better then we do better mm -hmm. right and so i think that we 
and I think that's actually an Al-Anon phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I, I hold that one to my heart because mm -hmm. like we, we figured out how mm -hmm. to do it better, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, it has been, I mean, it, it's just crazy how much differently our clients are receptive mm -hmm. to like this approach. Mm -hmm. I never got to see or have the experience sitting with somebody simply having a cup of coffee where I got to watch shame yep. leave mm. their face, yeah. literally leave their body. And they go, mm. and hope lights up. Mm. I never experienced that in any of my sponsor-sponsee relationships. It was very you-driven, you statements. And I never found that in those circumstances and scenarios and oftentimes those meetings, anybody was ever, ever able to settle. It was this hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. It was this scared, traumatized person who was just kind of going through and checking the boxes because they've been saying this is the best way since 1935 only to be met with more shame because of relapse and dislocation now in my community, yeah. <laughs> um, which can be really, really tough. I love that you mentioned that because people will say, Chris Fentanyl, it's dangerous. We got to intervene. We got to, you got to tell them what they need to do. And I'm like, I just don't agree with that. I think, I think what Gabor Monte covers so well is that our environment informs us before we inform it. Right? And so moving out of the medical model, which I think is important, we begin to ask questions like, not why the addiction? Why are you here? It's why the pain, mm -hmm. right? And that's just a shift. It might even be the same holistic approach to care, but it's just a shift in where we sit in the table and the questions that we ask um, that I have found, and I'm sure you guys as well, um, have uh, accounted for a pretty tremendous shift in our culture, our outcomes, and our delivery of behavioral health services. Well, and I also think, you know, one thing that um, I've noticed, especially with our, um, you know, our clients that struggle with substance use, mm -hmm. is um, especially at IOP level of care, like there is stuff, I mean, so we have a client that comes in and um, they initially came in and they're addicted to heroin mm -hmm. or fentanyl or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, I'm looking at the UAs and I see that they've tested positive for marijuana. Mm -hmm. You know, so my first question is why? Right. Like, help me understand why. Because it's not about the substance. Right. It is not about the substance. It's about, like, okay, walk me through it. Mm -hmm. And, like, what feelings were coming up for you? What, um, it, had you just gotten into an altercation with your family? Okay, what did that bring up for you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I know for a fact that there's not other treatment centers that are doing that, mm. you know? And I think that it, it, it speaks to, um, I mean, just the shift, mm -hmm. you know, the shift that Peaks is making um, because, I mean, mental health matters. Yeah, it matters a ton. Were you it really does, because it's not about the substance. At all. Mm -mm. No. Well, I, I, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about Peaks in 2016, uh, I get a little defensive in a way because yeah though uh, we had good bones mm -hmm. right like we we had sure. we had problems for sure yeah. but what we did do well is we really did passionately care about clients mm -hmm. and um i don't agree with all of our approaches back then by mm -hmm. any stretch of the imagination but i do think uh we've been very shame aware i think uh, mm -hmm. for a lot of the time like i don't think um i don't think that we were in the business of shaming people mm -hmm. uh, no. ever really and i mm -hmm. think um, 
So like we had, I think we had the right heart and I think we had mm -hmm. clients did well and got better under our model before, but I think it was almost in spite of some of our interventions. Sure. And it, it was much more about that we were, we were all kind of pouring our heart into what we were doing for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and really what I think, you know, you bring up this Gabber Mate stuff is it, the reason it's resonating is because it's what we already all were intuiting. We just mm -hmm. didn't have necessarily the words mm -hmm. and, um, and kind of that um, affirmation from kind of an outside, you know, MD mm -hmm. to come in and be like, you know what, actually like addiction is a much broader term. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think you've joked on this show a few times that, like, Jason, you're like, you're not in recovery from drugs and alcohol, but you're in recovery, man. Like, yeah. you've said that, like, 100%. from the beginning. And, yeah. like, and, like, he's saying, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That this is a much broader tent, this definition of addiction or of, of struggling. Suffering, basically, mm -hmm. is what we're defining and, and seeking relief from suffering. Like, most people do that, yeah. truthfully. And then most people want freedom from that. Yeah. And we've intuited that for a long time. Now we just have some some concepts to really focus on and develop from. Yeah. And it's really shifted the lens, too, because it used to be, oh, we got a mental health primary. Yeah. Everybody in your programs, you guys, 14,000 treatment centers in the United States, everybody's mental health primary. Yeah. Okay? Exactly. And, and you can only find that out when you have 10 mental health primaries and 10 substance use disorders, and you see that we're in group. We're all asking the same questions, we're saying the same things, and we're healing together. Yeah. It's all mental health. And I just love that we don't have to continue to stigmatize mm -hmm. addicts and alcoholics and in turn stigmatize the rest of the world who's fighting hard for their recovery. Yeah. You know, and those people can come to peaks. Yeah. Um, There's, um, when I'm interviewing for a new employee, that's actually one of the questions I ask is, um, what is the difference between mental health and addiction? Yeah. And um, if their answer is there's not a difference, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the right answer. There's not a difference. Right. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. How, I think that on the other side, and I want to bring this up for sure, is there, there will be people that will watch this episode and say there's inherent risk factors with mm -hmm. that approach. Mm -hmm. There's huge risk factors that wouldn't otherwise be there if we weren't controlling behaviors, right? So what do you say to that? Because there's this other side that says fentanyl addiction kills people, and that's a really, really narrow cliff's edge. Um, so you really need to wrap around that and tell him what he needs to do, or else he's going to lose his life. What do you say to somebody that approaches it from that angle? I mean, I'll start if you yeah, like. You I, mean, I think uh, um, we can tell people what to do all the time. We can tell them to stop eating McDonald's. We can tell people to mm -hmm. don't drink soda. We can tell people not to smoke or vape or whatever. Um, awesome. Tell them. Uh, but w what good does that do, truthfully? Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, in, and I think that's where more and more of like what, what is driving this and what relief are you seeking? Yeah. And then how do we find you genuine relief from mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Right? Like, absolutely, there's a, there's a huge fentanyl uh, problem for sure that we're facing, um, the likes of which we've never faced before. But um, it's one thing I think A gets right a, a fair amount of the time would be uh, this TV turned on over here. To my <laughs> left. Um, <laughs> the big thing I think would be uh, um, you know really kind of driving at what what's what's actually driving right. the thing because like, honestly like. 
I've done this long enough, like I saw the meth thing go uh, in the early 2000s. I watched uh, the heroin epidemic of the late 2000s into 2010, 12, and now we're in fentanyl. Like, they'll be the next. I don't know what it is. I can't predict. But um, what I do know is, like, we're, we're not necessarily getting to the core of it. Yeah. And telling people what to do, I, I, that just so rarely works, to be honest okay. with you. And that's actually where you get the dishonesty. Yeah. That's where you get all the resistance. I remember thinking, I remember someone told me, you know how you're lying, Chris? Your lips are moving, and you're in your first year of recovery. I'm like, oh. Shame statement. Shame statement, right? <laughs> I love what you're saying, because what if we just ask him, like, what are you getting out of the fentanyl? Yeah. Like, right? Yeah. What need is that meeting? Because addiction comes in when like needs are Four seconds of relief. And yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, and it's yeah. worth it. Yeah. Okay, so why? Exactly, man. And how can we find other ways to find some relief? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when you're going to just pull out something that people describe as a warm blanket, yep. the first time I've ever been hugged, mm -hmm. the first time I ever felt like I could connect or be a part of or be a friend or helpful to anyone yeah. was this substance. And it worked great. And back to the quote that I shared last week from, it wasn't Gabor Monte, it was another doctor in the book, but it's really hard to get enough of something that almost works. Mm. It's really hard to get enough of something that almost works. So addiction makes a lot of sense, a tremendous amount of sense. And so how can we insert as a treatment team to say, hey, we got this fentanyl thing. I always like to sit down with guys and women and say, man, tell me, I'm grateful you had that alcohol. And they're like, huh, like what'd it do for you? Like, yeah, I'm grateful too, you know, because if I'm not chewing on a pill, I'm trying to chew on a pistol. Like, and that's the transition, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I think we actually have to get, pay homage to, hey, this actually was supportive for me. I met a Benson Hedges and a bottle of vodka at 13 years old that in, in, in that time and place saved my life. Absolutely. Right? And so turn it back over to you, Rachel. What do you get out of not just meeting people where they're at, but being, taking the harder route, being more curious, asking better questions? What do you see in turn from that client's presentation and overall behavior? And let's go back to the word that we always use in, in the past, willingness. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the approach that we're taking, mm -hmm. um, it, is, it is a lot more challenging. Um, it, it, I mean, it's harder for everyone mm -hmm. involved. Yep. And um, so what I get from that is honestly trust. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get trust from the clients yep. because you know when I sit down and I have that conversation about the marijuana, okay, you know, like so, like, I just want to explore this with you, you know, like mm -hmm. what, what came up for you? What were you feeling? Um, you know, and then they come back, they come back to group and they, after they've relapsed, right. right? Um, they like that, that's what I get is that they keep coming back. Right. They keep coming back to a place that is safe, yeah. you know, and that isn't going to shame them because they smoked a joint. Yeah. You know, God, that's amazing. My experience in the literature, the outdated literature, really points to, you know, we put that substance in our body, eject button to the moon. You don't see them for days, months, years. Yep. That had been my experience, one of the saddest things I have actually experienced in recovery. But to your point, and I know I've touched on it on another show, but since you brought it up, um, it dismisses shame. It helps people settle. It keeps them safe. So safe that they actually go right back into group and talk about it. Yep. That's earth-shattering. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> earth-shattering, man. Um, and I am so excited. And I bring this Gabor Mate stuff up because it's so hopeful. Mm -hmm. It's such a light at the end of the tunnel. 
We have an opportunity to heal, but it just turns out that we have to heal from the inside out, um, not the outside in. It doesn't work that way, which I think is really cool and an awesome call to courage because each and every one of us can be in recovery and actively pursue helping others mm -hmm. in their mental health. We don't have to hear the, Jay, what drug did you do to make sure I can relate with you? Yep. I might relate to Jason more than I have with any other addict or alcoholic, and he's never done any intravenous drugs. Confirmed. Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha's like, <laughs> you know, so a breath of fresh air. Um, and I just want to end with this. I remember as a 20-year-old, I was sitting in my first inpatient treatment program. Um, and this is the myth of the normal, I think. And I looked up, and there's this guy sitting in front of me. His name's Lenny Siegel. He's still a great human, uh, someone that I really look up to. But what I was fixated on in his counseling office, and I thought it was the coolest thing since sliced bread, and he showed it to me, was his 10-year chip and his master's degree from ASU University. Hmm. I don't know if he showed me the ASU thing. It was right next to it, but he said, that's the 10-year chip. And he was the first person, and I tell this story all the time, he's the first person I ever met in their 20s with a decade of sobriety and a degree. And I chased that until three years ago to learn that that, no offense to Lenny, Lenny's much more than that chip. Lenny's considerate, he's honest, he has integrity, he's open, he cared about me before I could care about myself. So in my opinion, the last thing we should talk about is how many years of sobriety he has. Appreciate you, Lenny. <laughs> so thank you all for coming on. I'm going to continue to talk about this stuff, bring other professionals um, on, as well as great humans. I just want to continue to ruffle the feathers of the industry and really call a courageous um, call, a call to action that is courageous. And I think it does take some courage to come in and say, hey, I got it wrong. It's vulnerable. But it's also authentic to say that we're going to continue to fight here at Peaks Recovery um, to get it right, to ensure that our outcome data continues to go up. I mean, we're not going to concern ourselves with the national average. That's abysmal. Until next time, I appreciate you all. Find us on all of your podcasts, Instagram, TikTok. Got some good ones coming out this week. We just poured the foundation on a new facility. Check us out. Until next time, peace.